0: It's the 18th of February, 2018, and this is episode 356 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. On today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin, I'm here with Andreas Antonopoulos. Hello. And special guest, Michael, one of the developers of the Mimblewimble project. Hello. Thanks both of you for being here today. So, Michael, we like to kind of just jump right into the meat of it. In a nutshell, what's the purpose of Mimblewimble?
1: Just to start off, I'm a developer on the Grin project, which is an implementation of the Mimblewimble Wimble protocol, just to keep that distinct. Now, Mimblewimble Wimble itself is a blockchain format slash protocol, whatever you want to call it, that's designed from the ground up to give a very good level of privacy to its users. And the way it does that is through an amalgamation of a few existing technologies, such as confidential transactions is one of them, plus some additions that all combine together to give our users kind of a not a perfect guarantee of privacy, obviously, nothing can do that, but certainly a very good one. So
0: when we're talking about blockchains, and we're talking about especially ones like Bitcoin or Ethereum, there's a concept called pseudonymity versus anonymity, right? Anonymity is the absence of identity and the absence of kind of persistency and identity, whereas pseudo anonymity is where the identity of a person in real life isn't necessarily attached to whatever the identity is that exists in this other system. But that identity can exist in a continuous fashion, right? So if I'm dealing with you twice in two weeks in an anonymous system then we might not know that we're dealing with each other twice. But if we're dealing with each other in a pseudo anonymous system, then even though I don't know who you are in real life, I still know that I'm dealing with you as the same person. So that's the sort of privacy implication that becomes problematic in Bitcoin is that when you're talking about, you know, a pseudo anonymous system, that's all great. So long as you keep the connection between your real life identity, and your pseudo identity separate. But as soon as that linkage is made, then the whole system kind of unwinds and becomes very much not anonymous at all. So there are upsides to that, but the downside of it is that you have a system that suddenly doesn't look very private at all. So it seems like you're trying to patch that problem.
1: Right. I mean, in the case of Mimblewimble, it's certainly very anonymous. I mean, puts that go into the UTXO set, they're not traceable. You don't know who put them there. You don't know what the amounts are. There's no concept of address, which is kind of a new thing that people have trouble getting their heads around initially. So there's no addresses. Rather, we have kind of direct wallet-to-wallet transactions a transaction is built completely outside the blockchain and then put onto the blockchain. But ultimately, I mean, the the goal is, if you were looking at a history or you, you're looking at the blockchain itself, all you can see for every transaction is a bunch of random looking data goes in and a bunch of random looking data goes out and nobody knows who puts them there, what the amounts were, et cetera, et cetera. So it does make a case for, for being a completely anonymous system.
2: I know this is probably not serious and very trivial, but I would like to, drop in some of the backstory, because I think it is fascinating. One of the things that I find amazing about this is the way Mimblewimble happened, or the way it came into everybody's consciousness and attention. So this is a story that's in some ways slightly better than the Satoshi Nakamoto story. One day, a user who has never logged in before shows up in the Bitcoin developer's IRC channel, Posts one message that's to an Tor onion site, logs out, and is never seen again. That user goes by the name of Tom Marvolo Riddle, which is the birth name of Lord Voldemort from the Harry Potter series. And the onion site has a paper written by Tom Marvolo Riddle called Mimblewimble. Mimblewimble is a curse from the Harry Potter universe that makes the victim tongue-tied so they cannot speak, which is a reference to privacy. And that's it. We have no idea. This just got dropped into an IRC channel on an Encrypted Onion site with no idea who this was, no previous reference, and it was a fully formed idea. I just love that.
1: Actually, there's one other small element to it. It wasn't actually Tom Malvolio Riddle. It was Tom Elvis Jejuzor, which is the the French version of the same anagram. Right, right. So, <laughs> so that's kind of the only clue we have as to the originator of the paper, is that they were using the French Harry Potter, or the French Voldemort name. And a lot of the kind of language in the paper seemed to suggest that they were Their native language is French, but yeah, you're right. Other than that, nobody has a clue who this person is.
2: Is that a clue or is that an even greater layer of misdirection?
1: It it narrows it down to maybe, you know, 200 million people in the world instead of all of them, maybe. But yeah, it could be misdirection as well. Nobody really knows. Can you talk to us about the difference between
0: Mimblewimble and Grin? Because I introduced you as a developer, Mimblewimble, and it sounds like you're suggesting that Mimblewimble is more of a protocol like Bitcoin. And Grin is more of an implementation like Bitcoin, you know, core or any of the other implementations that are out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, Mimblewimble itself is the protocol. And this, this is what was first described in the paper that we've just talked about. Um, now, that just kind of describes the blockchain format and how, how transactions might be formed in an anonymous way. What I actually work on is called the Grin Project, which is a, an implementation of the Mimblewimble protocol. It implements Mimblewimble, and then there's a whole lot of other decisions, obviously, that has to go on top of that, like proof of work, how fees are handled, all of this kind of stuff, which is kind of remained separate from the, the Mimblewimble core. Interestingly enough, the GRIN project was started by someone, again, we don't, we, to this day, still don't know who this person is, but someone who took on the name of Ignotus Peveril which in, in Harry Potter, you can tell it's another Harry Potter name, is the inventor, I think, is the inventor of the invisibility cloak that Harry Potter wears. So that's where he got that name from. And again, this is about maybe six months after the, the initial Voldemort paper dropped. He kind of appeared on Bitcoin Wizards saying, I'm implementing this, you know, here's a start. And he caught the eye of Andrew Polstra as well, who was the original kind of mathematician to pick up the Voldemort paper and verify it. And it all kind of spiraled from there. So, we might want to talk about kind of both of them at at separate time, but we do need to make a distinction between Mimblewimble and Grin. And Mimblewimble itself is in the public domain. As far as I know, nobody owns it simply because nobody knows who the originator was and the originator never claimed it in any way.
0: So when we're talking then about the Mimblewimble protocol, are there other implementations besides Grin that are kind of taking on this challenge?
1: Not hard ones that I know about. There's been some talk in Monero about implementing Mimblewimble as a sidechain to add to their confidentiality features. Is Grin specifically intended for Bitcoin, or is it more blockchain agnostic? Grin is its own its own coin and its own blockchain entirely. So everything is fresh and written from scratch, all to support the Mimblewimble protocol.
0: Why go the direction of creating a specific blockchain for this, when it's been something that's been talked about as an interesting feature that would be kind of welcomed into Bitcoin?
1: Well, first off, trying to implement changes in Bitcoin can take years, as we all know, for good reason. With a new blockchain, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. There's parts of the protocol that kind of Voldemort had originally specified that turned out they don't quite work in practice. He actually made a, a mistake on the paper. There are some details when you actually put this into a kind of system that needs to build consensus that still need to be worked through. So the best way to do that is to be able to have your own kind of blank slate to work with, and you don't have to worry about any history or, in, or convincing a lot of other people that you need to make changes. In order to support this, you can just put them in and you can try it. So I think that's mostly what drove the decision to create a Grin as its own coin.
2: I don't want to kind of create this or promote this cliche that math is hard. But I read the Mimblewimble paper. I think it was kind of the week it came out or was posted. The developers started talking about it and I downloaded the paper and I read it. I understood maybe about 30%. I understood what it was trying to do and why, but I didn't understand how it was... Fairly obscure. And from what I understand, that was not just me, but a general reaction from a lot of even fairly sophisticated developers. And it actually took Andrew and a big effort to kind of translate it into a more approachable language and explain it during one of the scaling conferences that opened it up a bit further.
1: You're not wrong there at all. It's a lot harder to understand, certainly as a developer, Who doesn't necessarily have a a mathematical background to come to terms with it and understand exactly how it works. And it does take, say, a bit more effort than some other blockchains to understand exactly how it works. Like myself, I don't have a particularly strong mathematical background and it did take me a good while, I think, to really understand how it works. What it's actually based on is some tricks of elliptic curves. And once you kind of take some of the black box behavior of elliptic curves as granted, A lot of it just becomes basic algebra. So, you know, you have a private key, you multiply it by a scalar amount, and it becomes a public key. You can add these two keys together. And when you're actually trying to think about how this works, the formula kind of becomes not much more complex than, you know, GH plus VH and add them together. And that also creates a valid public key. So it it does take a bit of understanding. It does take a little bit of background on elliptic curves to really understand. But you don't actually have to get into the nitty gritty and really, really understand to the level of a, blockstream mathematician. It's a challenge, but I think it's very possible for a kind of a decent developer to get in and understand how it does work. Does that make sense, sir? Yeah, that
0: makes sense. I think we're going to try something even more challenging here, though. I'd like to try and understand it without understanding any of the math, at least in basic form. I have a decent understanding of how something like Bitcoin works. And the thing that it's built on is it's a progressive history, right? There's no like balance for an address. You have to actually go back through the entire history and add up all of the different individual transactions that impact that address in order to actually figure out the balance at the end. So if you're telling me with this technology that we gain privacy by making it so you can no longer correlate those transactions to themselves or each other anymore, then how is it still a functional blockchain?
1: Okay, in order to explain this, I think we have to talk about the constituent components a little bit. And the first thing, and this is probably something you've come across and and understand already, is the notion of confidential transactions.
0: We've talked about this in kind of the distant past, but I think this is an excellent time to recap.
1: Okay, so as you said, in a Bitcoin transaction, you have to trace back the whole history right back to the genesis block to be able to validate whether someone had the right to move that coin in this case in a confidential transaction you're basically building up an amount so say i have i'm, I'm choosing an amount like 10 i want to send you 10 grins and instead of just putting a 10 in the blockchain i take that 10 i multiply it by a, a generator point on a curve and then i add that to another generator point on a curve now i'm probably probably a bit technical here, but what that is essentially doing is creating two private public key pairs. Okay. So when you say a generator point, tell me what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. This it, is part of elliptic curve cryptography again. So if I'm creating a public key, all I'm doing is I'm multiplying a scalar. And a scalar is just a number I've chosen. Okay. And then I multiply that by a particular point on the curve, uh-huh. right? And the point on the curve is called a generator. Is that point random? or is it preset? It's not random, it's called nothing up my sleeve, which means that for all intents and purposes, it is random and it's been chosen so that you can prove that nobody's chosen it for any nefarious purposes, right? Yeah,
2: I think it's important to also say that it's a fixed point. So for every single public key in use in Bitcoin, is a private key, which is a number multiplied by the same point. Everybody uses the same point. It's named capital G, the generator point, And it's actually part of the standard for the elliptic curve that's used in Bitcoin. The idea of nothing up my sleeve is if you have a point on the curve and you don't know how that was chosen, maybe it has a special property and you don't know why or somebody's chosen it in a way, to have certain properties. So the nothing up my sleeve idea is basically that you, for example, use a specific sequence of digits in pi to pick that point. So and, unless you had a and in the creation of the universe, it's unlikely you buried into pi uh, <laughs> a special number to give you a special advantage.
1: Yeah, and thanks. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, definitely a good summary. So imagine if I've built up a public key using this static point which we call G. And I take another generator curve, for instance, and then I multiply another value with that. I've basically got two public keys. Now, a confidential transaction is basically an addition of two values that have been multiplied against two different generators. And you add them together. And and that's that's something called a, a Peterson commit. And a Peterson commit is perfectly hiding. Even if... I had a quantum computer and I, I could solve the discrete logarithm problem, I couldn't actually say for certain what the value is that I put into this, this commit.
2: We're using arithmetic on the elliptic curve, and by arithmetic what I mean is addition and multiplication, which works in more or less the same way as in real numbers. Uh, we're using that on the elliptic curve to basically hide or obfuscate numbers in such a way that if you know some of the components, you can know them. But if you don't, you you can't, similar to how we do private and public keys. And so in confidential, try or the signature and the public key, but it's also used for the amount you're transferring.
0: Okay. So basically what that means is that the information that's publicly available on the blockchain is not information that I can use to figure out the amount that's being sent or the address or both?
1: The amount and something which we call a blinding factor. So one of of these commits is the sum of two values that have been multiplied against two different generator points. The first value is the actual value of the transaction. The second value is basically a private key that I've just generated as part of the transaction.
2: So to make it easier to understand, Adam, and I'm gonna butcher the language because this is not accurate, the idea here is that you're encrypting the amount transaction. If you want to combine this with also obfuscating the addresses, there's other techniques for doing that, like CoinJoin or TumbleBit or Stealth Address, etc. But the difficulty that was for potential transactions was encrypting the value, because if you have clear values, then Uh, statistical analysis break the other confidentiality techniques. So what you're doing is you're encrypting the value. And the trick here is that you can verify it without knowing what it is. Just like you can verify a signature without knowing the private key, you can verify that the amount adds up in the transaction. The person actually had that money to spend it without knowing how much it was.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's probably a good time to point out as well that Mimblewimble does away with the concept of addresses entirely. Oh, okay. So then what is used in place of addresses? Direct interaction between the the parties who are actually making the transaction. I'll probably have to come to that a little bit later on, but that's just one thing that that needs to be clear is that there are no addresses in any of this. There's just outputs.
0: So originally in the Bitcoin protocol, there was the concept of IP to IP transactions, which required that both parties be online
1: and have a direct connection between their clients. Is, Is it something similar to that that you're doing here? That's what's being implemented at the moment, because if you have a transaction that needs to be interactive. It's kind of the most obvious way to go, but it certainly doesn't need to be over HTTP or IP to IP. It could be over carrier pigeon, it could be over email. The creation of the transaction itself is kind of a separate thing from the blockchain. So transactions are created separately and then applied to the blockchain afterwards.
0: Okay, so I think I I have an idea of what we're talking about now. Right now, we can think about Bitcoin as like kind of like a, a mail system or something, right? It's a terrible analogy, but This is more of like a lockbox system where when I'm making a transaction, I actually create a unique lockbox and then this uh, out of band off the blockchain communication that I'm doing directly to the person who I'm sending it to, I'm actually sending them the secret that then allows them to make the claim on the blockchain. Is is that right?
1: Right. You're not wrong. It's just there's some aspects of the protocol that probably are important now because the first part of it is just the confidential transactions part of it. But there's the notion of summing and the way that amounts are actually proven and the way ownership is proven that I think is important to Mimblewimble that I think we need to to move on to next. We have these confidential transactions, I've called them Peterson commits, but they're just kind of outputs on the blockchain. Now the real meat of Mimblewimble and how that adds to it is that instead of having to look at the history of all of these outputs, in order to prove that an output or a transaction is valid, i.e. it hasn't created any money out of nowhere, um, and that the only person who can spend it is a person who actually owns it, is the notion that you can just sum these things. Whereas in Bitcoin, you have to trace the history of every single transaction back to the the beginning in order to validate it. In this case, instead of tracing them, you can just simply sum them together to ensure that the inputs plus the outputs all sum to zero. And that's using the same sort of cryptographic tricks we talked about earlier. So a Mimblewimble transaction is essentially all of the inputs and all of the outputs involved in the transaction are summed together. And in order for the chain to validate it, it simply needs to prove that all of the amounts add up to zero instead of actually having to trace through the entire history. Does that make sense?
2: In financial terms, what we're talking about is you're doing the double entry bookkeeping. You're summing up to make sure that the accounts are valid because the entries on one side match the entries on the other side. But because you're doing it with elliptic curve, arithmetic, you don't know what the actual numbers are.
1: Yeah, that's probably a a very good analogy. So when I put together a Mimble-Wimble transaction, I have all of the inputs and outputs that have gone in, and they're all summed to zero. And... Also, I've chosen my private keys so that it creates something we call an excess value, which is zero plus a certain value. And in order to prove ownership of the outputs in this transaction, I need to prove that I knew this value, which is my public key and private key that I generated as part of that transaction. So that's the kind of main thrust that Mimblewimble adds on top of the confidential transactions.
2: I think probably for our general audience, it's important to note that all of this is done in software. So all of this is completely invisible to a user. Just like you don't know how transaction hashes or addresses or things like work. When we say you have a secret number, when we say you, that means your wallet is doing all of this stuff in the background. Completely invisible. You may have a wallet that says pay Adam. And in the background, it sets up a tour session between us. It creates all of these secret numbers and it publishes it on a Mimblewimble blockchain. And somehow Adam got paid. You don't need to worry about how that happens.
1: You're right there. When you're actually doing this, say on our testnet or development network, all you're doing is you're going to your wallet software and saying, send 50 grins to this address. Like all of this stuff is all happening behind the scenes and from a user's perspective anyhow it's a lot less complicated than i've just made it sound right we're trying to understand both kind of the high level stuff and
0: the low level stuff but at the end of the day even this explanation that we're talking about here gets so much easier when it's just literally something that your wallet does rather than having to try and understand why it works on a blockchain <laughs> today's show is sponsored by EasyDNS.com. EasyDNS first started sponsoring the Let's Talk Bitcoin show back in 2013, and they fall into the early libertarian adopters camp. In today's world, it doesn't really matter if you're running a blockchain startup or just have an opinion. You want a company who thinks your rights matter at an ideological level. And for my websites, that's EasyDNS. Oh, and for those of you already living in the future, you can pay your bill with Bitcoin or Ethereum. So when you're thinking domains, mail servers, or DNS provisioning, think EasyDNS.com.
1: There's one more very important point about Mimbo Wimbo that I haven't mentioned yet. Because all of my transactions and all of my blocks are basically a lot of outputs that sum to zero, it turns out that I don't actually need to keep them around forever. Because if they sum to zero, they kind of, they're removed from the equation and I don't need to use them in any future kind of summing that I do. So we have this notion of cut through, which means that rather than having to keep the whole history of the blockchain around and all the outputs around is we can get rid of them if the transactions in a block add to zero we can simply cut them out and everything still sums so what that ends up giving us is is a huge amount of space savings compared to your average blockchain
0: so instead of keeping the entire history like we have to do with something like bitcoin or ethereum because the entire history is relevant to the continued validity of the system doesn't doesn't that have an impact though on how easy it is to to break through things if you don't have to care about the history to that point
1: No, absolutely not. Because you can set up nodes to work in different ways. You can have a full archival node that decides to keep the entire history. You can have a state whereby you download the full history and then validate it. And you say, right, everything is validated up to this date. It all sums to zero. So now I can just get rid of everything and start at that block. And it gives you a lot of options as to how you can prune your blockchain. So you don't end up with the kind of bloat you see in some other chains and certainly certainly nowhere near the level that you see in, in Bitcoin.
0: Okay, I think that I understand that. So the validity of the system isn't really affected by this at all. It's just a question of when you're a light node, right? If you're like on a Android wallet or something like that, then right now you're trusting essentially the headers through the uh, SPV process. And what you're saying here is that this type of transaction by nature of the fact that it all settles to zero, if it's uh, appropriate, means that you don't have to
1: just trust the headers, you can just trust the transactions or the blocks. Yeah, that's right. Or I could have beforehand just looked at the whole state and downloaded everything. But once I have that, I've thrown it all out so I can keep the UTXO set and the transaction, something we call transaction kernels that kind of holds all the signatures that proves this. Uh,
0: Interesting, so you could download it and validate it all once and then know that you started from a correct basis and then only maintain the, the kind of most recent stuff but still have that validity because to have gotten to that point, it must be true and you already verified that. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: Yeah. Cool. So what other kind of implications are there for this
1: technology? Where else do you think that we'll see it pop up? For, well, Mimble Wimble itself, it, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it's, Grin is kind of the first implementation of it. And, and I have to say all of this stuff has been theoretical up until this point. So we're, we're doing a lot of work to kind of bring this, all of this theoretical into reality and make it actually work within a blockchain.
0: So you're rolling out the Grin blockchain for this we're actually talking to you because like I said, this is kind of more of something that's seen as a potential privacy improvement for something like Bitcoin. How could something like this be applied to Bitcoin? Would it require a lot of changes at kind of a fundamental level? Or is it more just it needs to be proven out before it can be politically palatable?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, whenever you're talking about making improvements to Bitcoin, it's going to remain largely theoretical for a very long time. Indeed. So, in our case, I think having a good coin out there that actually has proven the technology, proven it works, you can build a viable blockchain on top of it. All of the other kind of periphery stuff, like the proof of work and the your emission schedule and your fee schedule and what have you, is kind of on secondary to that. I I think the main goal of the Grin project is really to use Mimblewimble for real and to prove that it works. And then, you know, from there, once that case is built, then we can think about applying it to other, whether other projects want to apply it.
2: Yeah, when can people use it and how would people use it? Would this be used the same way that, for example, I might use Zcash today as a completely separate privacy-focused blockchain and coin? Do you envision me using it in conjunction with Bitcoin in the future? And when is this likely to happen?
1: Well, at the moment, we're in the process of developing our test networks. So we, we launched Testnet a few months ago, which was the first version of the chain. And that was done using a reduced version of the proof of work. Just really an experiment to kind of test all of the kind of fundamental components of the blockchain to work out bugs and get them working. Right now, we're working towards testnet 2, which is going to be a little more feature complete and kind of have all of the elements that we'd like to have in there. So full proof of work, full cut through, the ability to do, we have various types of sync. So a full sync or an abridged sync, which we call it, or the ability to compact blocks a bit better. So that's coming up for our next test network. Um, As far as a release date for the actual coin, we don't have that at the moment. It's certainly going to be coming probably within... I won't say the end of this year, but certainly sometime early next year might be the moving window that we're looking at at the moment. It's funny. It used to
0: be worth pointing out when someone was doing an ICO and then suddenly everyone was doing an ICO. And now for the last 18 months, we haven't talked to anybody who's doing an ICO because you can't tell if they are just selling something that looks like a dream or if they're actually something new and there's no real time to vet it and it's a terrible value proposition generally speaking so it's worth mentioning here that they're all unlicensed securities as we know after yesterday's testimony by or
1: two days ago i guess at this point
0: regardless of that it's worth mentioning that uh, the launch of your token is not going to be
1: using an ico no and and it's definitely not a token i wouldn't use that word
0: And it's definitely not a token. So talk to us about what what is actually the plan for rolling it out and how can people who are both kind of on the more technical development side who might want to contribute, how can they get involved and how should people who are not on the technical side more like me but are interested in this project get
1: involved? Okay, sure. One of the things about Grin, and this is probably the reason that I was attracted to it in the first place, is that there's no scamminess about this whatsoever. There's no plans for an ICO. There's no plans for any pre-mine. We have no intention of taking any of the mining take for the first while. We may reserve the right, maybe, to put a voluntary one percent, you know, contribution back to the development team in the default miner, but that's that's as far as we've gone. The launch date will be pre-announced. Our funding is completely volunteer-driven and kind of on a. We follow Monero's modelism. We put up a request you know, to fund a developer for, for three months and then ask the community to fund that on the understanding that nobody is to give us any funds with the expectation of any return or any influence on what we're doing. So from that perspective, this is a very pure project and none of the developers who are working on it that that I know of anyhow are motivated by anything other than a desire to see the technology work and out of a technical interest. So th- there's no there's no get rich quick scheme going on here at all. What do you see as the long term
0: future of this project? Do you think of it more as an experiment, like to kind of prove out the concept, or is this actually something that you think has a long term future?
1: Oh, I, I definitely think it has a long term future. The nice thing about it is, as opposed to something like Zcash, where there's a a corporation behind it and funding behind it and a big hype to get it onto market, someone have you? I very much see this coin growing organically. As in, we have our first release you know the only way you can get it is mine it you can't go and buy it on an on an exchange and we'll continue to improve the technology as it goes along we actually have a hard fork schedule built in for the first two years so we can test things in the wild and then make decisions with that's and hard fork at a specific points so that we can correct anything that we've got wrong previously so i definitely see this as a long-term organic growing type of project, as opposed to something that someone's thrown out there and trying to pump up as quick as possible.
0: So for people who are interested, where should they be going? What websites are applicable or relevant here?
1: The best starting place is grin-tech.org, which is a lovely green and black website that kind of reflects our ethos um, with no design sensibility whatsoever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that will give you a link to kind of a code in GitHub to a forum that we've launched recently um, using Discourse, where you can discuss these things. You can talk with the developers directly on Gitter. We're all very active on there. And, and the other thing about this project is all the developers there are very, say very professional. If you ask a question, you, you'll get a polite response. Nobody's gonna try and make you feel stupid because no doubt we we all felt stupid when we were first trying to join the project and first trying to figure out what Mimble Wimble is all about. So I really do think it stands apart from a lot of other projects out there.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Today's show was sponsored by EasyDNS.com and featured content from Michael, Andreas Antonopoulos, and Adam B. Levine. This episode featured music by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Today's show was edited by Matthew Zipkin. And if you have any questions or comments, email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Stay tuned for the next episode when Andreas Antonopoulos and I are joined by Elizabeth Stark to talk about lightning in real life once again. Have a good one.